August 29th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf If you count from the top, it's 18 lines down. The first word on the line is Ushloshet, where the third word on the line says the Gemara Mipenema Lo Manu et Ahaz. Why was Ahaz Melech Yehuda? about whom we read some terrible things, why wasn't he counted, why wasn't he listed in our Mishnah in one of the Beraitot as an individual who doesn't have a Helek La'ulam Haba? What distinguishes him, another way of saying it, from those three who were mentioned, Yerav'am, Ahav, and Menashe, who were evil and terrible kings in their own right? Answers the Gemara, one of two answers, Amar the first answer is it would be uh, dishonorable to him because of his ancestor and descendant. His father, Yotam, his son, Chizkiah, who we're referring to Ahaz, were both very righteous kings. And as a result, it's almost inappropriate to mention that individual in the middle, Ahaz, who was a terrible, uh, wrongful acting king, uh, but to mention him means to somehow lend his father or his son or both of their names to it in order to give them kabod, he's not mentioned in the list. Alternatively, says the Gemara, Rav Yosef Amar, Rav Yosef alternatively suggests it's because he did something right, something to the extent um, that it was so righteous that he was saved that this uh, this merit of uh, that loss of olam haba mipeneshayalo boshet panim miyeshayahu because he was able to feel. Shameful, he was embarrassed by Yeshayahu at a particular juncture. It's because of that moment, which we'll read about in a moment, that Ahaz merited Olam Haba. In other words, instead of being barred, because he showed an appropriate Boshet Panim, says the Gemara, suggests the, the Gemara, suggests Rav, uh, what's his name, Rabir Miyabaraba, that's what gave him Olam Haba. Just on Sunday, before we read the uh, the, the proof for this, just on Sunday I mentioned in a different class that Boshet Panim in the eyes of the Hakamim is not, not any small matter. To have embarrassment, an appropriate, a healthy embarrassment, suggests that I realize the presence within which I'm standing. Which means to say I'm generally speaking embarrassed by doing something wrong because I realize someone's going to hear about it, someone saw it, it's in the context of someone else. When I think I'm acting on my own, so in such a circumstance I don't have that embarrassment. The Gemara suggested as well, Masech Berachot says, any person who sins and is embarrassed by that sin, he achieves forgiveness for all his sins. Why for all of his sins? He was only embarrassed about one wrongdoing. If the source of all those sins is because I'm not thinking about God's presence in my life, if the reason I'm doing this is because I don't feel that he's here watching me and involved with me in every action and involvement in this world. That's why I sinned. Once I achieved embarrassment, it means I realized that he is present and in turn, I'm cha- a changed person for the future. Not to be taken literally, but to be understood in such a, uh, such a, through such a prism. That's the statement here in the Gemara, as I understand it. To have boshet panim, the Gemara Masech Kivamot says, it's one of the attributes of B'nai Yisrael, means that I have a life which is imbued with a humility, with a proper character trait, with an approach which is one in which I'm not seeking or searching for my own authority and strength, but understanding that I need to answer to others, have a gratitude and ability to understand my dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When was it that he was embarrassed by Yeshayahu Shene'emar, the Pasuk, and the context is Yeshayahu was coming to Ahaz to tell him that the incoming 
king of Babel and king of Yisrael are going to fight against him, but he'll win. He shouldn't fear. He's Melech Yehuda Ahaz's. And then the Pasuk describes, God tells Yeshayahu, go to Ahaz, go together with others, with your son, to a particular pool of water. And here's the key words, El Misilat Sedekoves, those last words, Sedekoves, the field of Koves is what uh, provokes the imagination of the rabbis. What's Koves? So the Chachamim suggest one of two interpretations to that word Koves. My Koves, Ikadamre, de Kavshinu le Apeve Halaf, Vikadamre, Uchla de Kasre, Sahaf Areshe, ve Halaf. One of two interpretations to what this Koves is that's mentioned in the Pasuk. Either it's a reference to Kovesh with a sheen, and we're just uh, playing with that last letter, the Samech, which is similar to the sheen. Lichbosh means to push down, to cover, and it means that Ahaz was covering his face as Yeshayahu came. He had a certain embarrassment because of his sins from the prophet Yeshayahu. That in and of itself is significant, shows his Boshet Panim. Alternatively, it's Milashon Koves, Koves, kivisa, anyone knows in contemporary Hebrew, is a reference to uh, laundry. He put a laundry basket over his head, and laundry baskets have those holes in them so that the, the moistness and the water can fall out, but that's the way he walked away. Instead of showing his face to Yeshaya, who was able to see what was going on, but he wouldn't look directly. Either way you slice it, what Rabbi and Miyabarabah is suggesting is that Ahaz did not lose his portion in the world to come because of this appropriate bullshit panim. Says the Gemara onward, Amon. Amon was another one of these terrible, uh, wrongful kings. Of, uh, and why is it that Amon, Eli, we're doing down here, just so you know. Why was it? No, it's okay. You just get a few minutes of Torah as well. And why was it? Why was it? I'm forcing you. Why was it that Amon uh, isn't mentioned in the list of those who lost Olam Haba? Says the Gemara, because of the kavod of his son, his son Yoshiahu, uh, because of him, uh, who was a good one, Amon is not left out of the list of those who lost to Olam Haba. Says the Gemara, Menashe, if that's the case, Menashe, Name, Lanimne, Mipene, Kevodoshel Chizkiyahu. So then Menashe, who is the last mentioned in our Mishnah, the kings who lost their portion in the world to come, why is he mentioned? Maybe he shouldn't be mentioned because his father, Chizkiyahu, was our most righteous king. So if you're telling me the reason I don't mention is because they have a lineage, they have a parent who's, uh, who's honorable, and I don't want to mention the, the dishonorable uh, child or father, uh, that's why you left off Amon, so then why is uh, Menashe any different? Why not leave him off because of the honor of his very honorable father, Hezgiyahu? Answers the Gemara, there's a basic difference. Bera mezake Abba, Abba la mezake bere. Bera. Says the Gemara, the difference is Menashe was the father of Hezgiyah, excuse me, Menashe is the child of Hezgiyah, whereas Amon is the father of Yoshiahu. What's the difference? Well, the idea goes as follows. As follows, Amon could have now a future progeny 
which fixes his ways. Amon's children, his child, Yoshiyahu, was going to set things straight. The father sometimes is not a great person, but he sets forth something positive in the future generations. You look at that story and you say it had a happy ending. There was something positive that came out of it. I now look at the father and I say, I'm not going to take away from his merit. Look what came out of him. Alternatively, if it's in the opposite direction, if Hezkiah was the father and the future now is detrimental, the future is Menashe. Over there, we don't look at the father and say, well, his father was honorable. Maybe that doesn't fix up with the present and future is life. Don't we say in the merit of we're looking in such a circumstance for God in the merit of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to whom you made a covenant, to whom you promised. In the merit of these rabbis, we'd like you to help us in this circumstance. The vision, I guess, but the question is stronger than my answer, is that in those circumstances, we're turning to God and saying, in the merit of them, so please aid us over here, please help us over here. Here we're talking about an everlasting reality. We're talking about the kavod and the, and, and the future of that individual in terms of ulam haba. I guess the vision is to that extent we don't go. That's the way I'm distinguishing. But it's a good point. I mean, we're about to in Silihot and Bishotet de Bar Yochai and Bishotet de Derbi Meir and so forth. Uh, why are we doing that? Uh, aren't, those our, uh, aren't those our ancestors, not our descendants? Yeah, uh, good point. But the Gemara brings, you know, the counter-argument, there's a derasha along the lines of the father not being able to, quote, save the children. The Pasuk says in, uh, what's it, Parashat Vezot Beracha, Ve'en Miyadi Masil. The Pasuk says, and there's not from my hand a savior, which in the hand, the understanding is the extension of myself. The derasha of the hachamim is en Abraham matzil et Yishmael, en Yitzhak matzil et Esav. The father does not have a way, the Abraham and the Yitzhak do not have a way of being the Hatzalah for their descendants. Again, what we're suggesting uh, briefly as well, on the one hand, maybe there is a, a quick fix, maybe there's the ability to get out of a pickle in a circumstance, but a, uh, a long-lasting Hatzalah, an Ulam Haba one, uh, perhaps it's not so. Says the Gemara, Now that we've arrived at such, that we've understood that the child has a way not only of being the Kabod for the father, but of bringing the merit, bringing the Zechut, I could answer as well, Ahaz Nameh, earlier at the very onset, we talked about why Ahaz was not mentioned. We mentioned either because he sandwiched in between two righteous individuals. We called that for their kabod. Alternatively, the Gemara gave another explanation. It was because of his boshet panim from Yeshayahu. Says the Gemara, now that you suggested that the child has a way of not just being the kabod for the father, but in terms of uh, hatzalah, he can save the father. Uh, look, look at my future uh, descendants. Look at, I may have not been so great, but look what I put forth. Look at what is now the outcome of me. I could suggest for Ahaz as well, la'im the reason he wasn't mentioned is Mishum it's because of the honor, because of the way that Hezkiyahu, his descendant, his child, was uh, the savior to him in a certain respect. Says the Gemara, What about Yehoyakim? Yehoyakim, we saw some terrible things about Yehoyakim. Most notably, if you recall, Yehoyakim was the individual who said, we don't need the light of God. He said the earlier generations, they didn't know how to rebel well enough. If you recall, against God. Ah, us, we don't need, what does he give us? He gives us light. We don't need his light. We have this beautiful silver, this gold, which will lighten up things for us. If you recall, his advisors turned to him and said, but wait a second, the gold 
is God's. He said, don't you know that the Pasuk says, it's ours, it's mine. Says the Gemach, I just want you to keep that story in mind because according to some, you'll see a midah keneged midah, his retribution in this story for that doing. Says the Gemara, the reason Yehoiakim isn't mentioned in those, in the list of the kings of Melech Yehuda, specifically, who lost their portion in the world to come, is because of what we know from what do we know about uh, Avuya? What do we know about It says, it's inscribed on the skull of Yehoyakim, quote, Zot Veod Aheret, unquote. It says, this and another. What's this and another, those enigmatic, mysterious words on the skull of the king of Yehuda, Yehoyakim, a terrible king. And says the Gemara, here's what happened. Or it says, This is what happened. The grandfather of one of the rabbis of the Talmud, he found around the gates of Jerusalem, he found a skull. This is the grandfather of Rabbi Pereda. And it said on that skull, quote, unquote. It said, This and another. He saw this skull with a strange inscription on it. He took it, and he did what you're supposed to do when you see bones. Um, you're not a Kohen. Kavra. He took it, and he buried it. He wanted uh, to give it a certain respect. There shouldn't be a skull uh, bouncing around and, 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 and on the streets. Vela'i kabra. And it would not be buried. In other words, every time he tried to put it into the ground, it somehow rose. He didn't have a way of sticking it and keeping it in the ground. Kavra velai kavra. He tried burying it. Just again, the grandfather is trying to do the right thing, but he's not successful in so doing. Amar he realizes zikeno shel bipereda gulgalto shel yehoyakimhi. This is the skull of Yehoyakim. Dichtiv bet says about Yehoyakim in the Navi kevurat hamor yikaver sahov vehashlech mehala l'sha'are Yerushalayim. The pasuk says that he's going to be buried like a donkey. It's going to be dragged out to the gates of Jerusalem, meaning not going to be able to have a regular burial. So he understands, I'm not going to be successful in a regular, normal, standard burial of Yehoyakim. Amar, he says, the grandfather of Rabbi Pereda, holding this skull, have the imagery in your mind, Malkahu, he's a king. It's inappropriate to be mezalzel, to not, uh, to not appropriately treat this, to shamefully treat this. Karcha he covers it with a fabric, and he takes it ve'otava besifeta, and he sticks it into a uh, says Rashi an arga, some sort of chest. So it's not going to be buried in the ground. He's not successful in doing so, but at the very least, it shouldn't be shamefully strewn in the streets. Hazita devitu. The wife of the grandfather of Rabbi Pereda in the home opens up this chest and sees a skull in there. Savra, she thinks, had ititakamaita hava. She assumes this skull is from his first wife. Rabbi Pereda's grandfather had been initially married. He never forgot her, and he was holding on to her skull. Now the wife of Rabbi Pereta's grandfather, grandfather is disgusted, or she's let down by this. He held on to his first wife's skull. He can't forget about her, and almost in an act of rage, shagrat tanura vekaleta. She takes the skull, throws it into the oven, and it gets burnt. Says the Gemara, hainu zot It's for that reason that it's said on the skull, this 
And another thing, that this is, it won't be buried in the ground. The other thing is that it'll ultimately speaking be burnt. Uh, what's the reference then in our Gemara? Well, first and foremost, now that's the suggestion of the Gemara. The reason that he didn't lose his portion in Olam Haba. He, in some respect, uh, was able to achieve that through suffering in this world. In some respect, the idea that after his death, his body, his physical body, his skull underwent this was a way of him achieving some sort of kapara in some respect. Just lastly, what's with all the imagery of not being buried in the ground and then ultimately speaking being burnt? Marsha and Ben Yehoyada link it up to what we knew about again, Yehoyakim earlier. Yehoyakim was the king who, about whom we read earlier. He's the individual who said, the ground is mine. mine. Well, now listen to the imagery. The ground won't even accept him. The ground is yours. How come the ground won't let you be buried into it? Furthermore, he said, I don't need the light of God. I have the light from my gold. The light of God to a certain respect, that's the, the uh, fire in this circumstance. At the end of his life, that's what's consuming him. Are you in control of the fire and the light? Or is God, you have a full midah, keneged midah, in the eyes of Mahashan ben Yehoyada, in this final act of loss of Yehoyakim, which means that we kind of bring this full circle. The loss of Olam Haba is not a reality for him because the lesson that was to be learned, in some respect, is learned after his death. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.